And I'm Lenny Kluge. We are two immigrants living in Chile, bringing you information on news, cultural topics, travel, business, and more. The Chile Today podcast is the first ever bi-weekly English news podcast. For more information about the news topics you will hear today, check out our news affiliate, chiletoday.cl. If you have any questions, stories to share, or just want to say hi, message us on Instagram at Chile Today Podcast or email us at chiletodaypodcast at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous, rate and review us so that more people can find our podcast. So, uh, if you want to know what's behind the scenes, what we talk about, apparently, Pinguino just told us that in one of the first reiterations of Spider-Man, his uh, powers were a metaphor for puberty, and so he got the idea for his web-slingers when he woke up with his sheets uh, yeah. stuck to him. Or, uh, come talk to us and grab a Come talk to us! <laughs> at one of our events. <laughs> now, that's a smooth segue, but you totally <laughs> misinterpreted that, I guess. On purpose. Great. Yeah, so we're real fun people, and <laughs> we do have. We wanted to, um, I guess, before we even talk to each other, because Lenny doesn't like me anymore, I guess, we're going to talk about the events Ooh, we have boy. coming up in Santiago. So what's the first one, Lenny? The first one is the horrible movie night. Yes, and we are watching what is, uh, it's called Swiss Army Man. And um, yes, everybody's shouting at the podcast. It's not a horrible movie. No, it's just bizarre. It's a bizarre movie night more than anything. Bizarre movie. It is a, it's a movie where Daniel Radcliffe plays a dead corpse that washes up on a deserted island, and he can be used. His dead corpse can be used for anything, like as a flamethrower. Um, apparently, Put his on Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, apparently, How have I not his, heard about this before? his male his member his male genitalia is a compass. It, it sounds well, which one isn't? Uh, uh, oh. This is how it works. You didn't know that? I did not. Yeah. I did not. It yeah. always points north. Yeah, it <laughs> it usually it depends on the situation. <laughs> That's why it's a it compass. Always points north. <laughs> okay. That's when people's compasses get broke. That's what the pills are for. So anyway, this is what this movie's about. It sounds amazing. I've never seen it. Pinguino has and says it's horribly great. So that's actually on the 17th of February. So that's coming right up. It's a free event. So come out, hang out. We're gonna. It's gonna be at a bar called the Black Rock Pub near Metro Tobalaba. It starts at I believe eight. We're gonna have all this information up on our Instagram. And just come out, hang out. I'm going to be there. I think Pinguino's going to be there. Lynn, are you going to be there? I might. I might not. I'm going to leave this up to suspense here. Oh, okay, great. But yeah. I'm going to be there. So if you want to meet us in person, that's that. And then what's our next uh, What's our next event? And then the next event should be the Chistolas Comedy Show. Yeah, there's a bilingual yeah. comedy show that's going to take place at Fiddler's Irish Pub, which is right next to Metro Monmont. It starts at 8. There are four great comedians, including Pinguino. He's going to be comedying it up. He's going to be like, quack, quack, quack. Do penguins quack? I thought they chirp. They honk. It was like this video no. about, Ma and like, Magellan penguins. I don't know. Did, did you see that? It was like this video about Magellan penguins. And this thing. Just, Magellan? Mag Mag Magellan penguins. <laughs> Mag Magellanic. Yeah. And the, these, <laughs> these little critters just honk, honk. It was kind of funny. Aw. I've never. Maybe we should poke. Poke Pinguino, see what noises he makes. Poke Pinguino, see what noises he makes. He's shaking. He's going to be like, ah! Hell fucking no. <laughs> Hell fucking no. Don't you touch me. 
Um, Get your hands off me. Grumpy penguin man. Um, okay, so that one starts at eight, and that is 3,000 pesos to get in the door, and that's so that we can pay our comedians. These are all people who, like, are really, really passionate about their art, and they're really good. Penguin has been doing comedy for a long time, and a lot of the... The people there are professionally trained, so come out, see, laugh. You'll have um, uh, comedians in English and other comedians in Spanish, and some that do both. So it's going to be a real good time. And then what's the last event that we have already? Uh, that should be the pub quiz for this month. Yeah, we have a bilingual trivia night. That's on the 26th of this month. And that one starts at 8, and it is 6,000 pesos to enter per team, teams of up to three. These have rounds in English and Spanish, so like round one will be in Spanish, round two in English. But it's accessible to all, like, language levels. It's super easy if you have questions about words, everything. It's super fun, a great way to practice, and a great way to meet new people. It's my favorite event of the month. I'm going to be hosting as well as Pinguino. It's going to be really fun. I don't think Lenny's going to be there, but it's going to be a fun time. Um, if you're interested in any of these events, you can um, go to our Instagram at Chile Today Podcast, or you can email us if you have questions, Chile Today Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Word. Let's start with the fun news this week, the COVID. COVID update. All right. So as of Thursday, February 11th, we have... Uh, COVID. COVID. <laughs> no, we have COVID. No, none of us have yeah, COVID No, here. actually, I was a little, a little scared. You got, you got contact, contacto estrecho, first contact. No, no, not even. I, got, uh, I just had like slight symptoms or what I thought could be slight symptoms. And I was just like, you know, if, if we weren't in this pandemic, I would have probably brushed it off. But I was like, yeah, we're in a pandemic, so let's get yeah, tested. Yeah, yeah. So I got an yeah. antibody test because they didn't have the antigen test, and that one. Dude, I swear to God, yeah. those antigen tests are just pointless. Yeah, but I didn't take an antigen test. I did. T- I took an antigen. The thing is, like, from what I understood, like these antigen tests are likely to give you a false positive, but mm, they could. They cannot give, give you a false a negative. False the problem negative. is, is if you've been vaccinated, it's gonna be positive. Right, but I was like, okay, like, but not necessarily. And I think that applies to the antibody test, not necessarily the oh, antigen test. Maybe. So like, there's a lot of confusion there. Point <sighs> is, I get an anti antibody test got positive so i was like literally like at the doghouse for the night it was like okay i'm just gonna leave the room until so then i ordered a pcr a domicilio at home so because my logic was like before i just get right away on a that hunch, and there are no appointments right now that's an update there are no appointments yeah, right that, now that's for like four days so that's why I, thankfully i can afford like to, to yeah. have one at domicilio which was great they came the next day they had the result like online a couple of hours later and turned out i was negative which was like great but i was also like Damn it! <laughs> it was like twelve hours for nothing. Right, and also those uh, antigen tests are not cheap either. Yeah, no, at the COVID at home and no, not either. Yeah, like no, uh, I have a. <laughs> well, I mean, my best friend Mary. Hey, Mary. Yeah, hey, hey Mary. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he always forgets to say hi to Mary. Um, she had symptoms this week, and she could not get an appointment to to, to get the PCR. Because they're like, oh, you can get the PCR on Friday. And yep. it's like, um, I need to not go to work. I have symptoms. And, and she ended up doing a domicilio, which, like you said, she, she ha- can because they're expensive, right? Like 40 bucks or yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. And she got the exam, negative PCR. She's got the flu. Mm. But what you just said, I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you, if you just... 
suspect you have COVID, you don't get medical license. You don't get no. sick leave. We talked about this last time. You like, have which to is get really shitty. Yeah. Like, combined with the fact that right now it's really hard to get a, like a, a regular PCR. Right, because so many people have COVID right, right. now. Yeah, or well, so many people have like contacto estrecho, and they want to just get tested just in case. Yeah. Anyway, getting back on track. So what I was saying is, as of Thursday, February eleventh, we have thirty six thousand six hundred thirty five new daily cases. Positivity stands at 26.12%. Sorry to interrupt you. It's okay. The reason why I was interrupting you is I realized, because we have so many people from the U.S. that listen to us, um, because we have a small population, that's a lot. I just, I realized recently looking at the U.S. cases that that sounds like not a lot. No, no, but that's that's why I mentioned the positivity rate. Right, yeah, but that that also is like, it might be Spanish for some people, because they're like, oh no, but the U.S. had 119,000 last night and we that's good for us since i just want to like put it in perspective absolutely that those numbers according to our little bitty country's population are huge yeah huge that is a lot that's actually right now i mean i think that's quite quite a bit like daily daily infections and it just like skyrocketed as of like was it mid-january or something it was just crazy more daily infections quite locura yeah quite the locura So this is the second highest daily number just below the last record, which was recently established on February 4th with like 37,000 something. And right now the ICU occupation is at about 90%. I think last time we recorded an episode, it was about like 85, 87%. Slow but steadily rising, no? Yeah, I have some statistics actually. Um, Let me get them out real quick because I realized. So 25% of those that are in the ICU are people, wait, hold on. 63% of the people in the ICU are people who do not have their complete schema, the vaccination. So that's something to keep in mind. Like, you know, unvaccinated people are the majority of yeah. those numbers yeah uh, but then also like people could say well you know uh, if the the remaining like 37 percent like are like the people that are unvaccinated um that, no, that, that are, are vaccinated, vaccinated like doesn't that mean that it doesn't work no absolutely not you know because you There's have also a huge old people popula- and, you know compromised people. no and you have to see look at the numbers you have a huge population of vaccinated people and if you compare this to the population of the icu like 36% or 37% compared to the overall population of vaccinated people is like vanishingly small. Right. And then you also have to consider, let's say, uh, you know, you as somebody, my father-in-law died this past year, like he was in the ICU, he would be counted as vaccinated. He, The fact he was in the ICU had nothing to do with COVID, but he was in the ICU. Yeah. So there's still regular people in the ICU dying from just life. And then <laughs> dying from life. There's no like more I've ever heard one existing. <laughs> and you know, there's other things. So remember that that even shrinks even more. So yeah. get your vaccines. They are working. Um, get your boosters. The fourth. I'm sure you're going to talk about the fourth dose. Yeah, that too. But you know what's actually more talking about the ICU right now? Like the share of COVID patients right now in the ICU has increased from 19 to 31 percent within the last two weeks. Mm. Yeah, so it's getting more and more, um, you know, taking on more and more COVID patients. And the problem right now is that like the regular 
regular hospital bed occupation, like the non-ICU ones, is also starting to spill over in the ICU. Right. And that's also a problem because at some point you have people in the ICU that shouldn't be in the ICU because you have like so many COVID patients like absolutely overcrowding the regular hospital beds. Right. So that, that, that's another angle that people are not considering, you know. Totally. Now, experts are expecting the number of the new infections to start falling as quickly as of, uh, falling quickly as of next week, right. more or less. And some are suspecting that around like 35,000, 40,000 daily infections is about as high as, as, we'll, uh, as, as it They're will get. They're falling in the U.S. Like if, if we're yeah. comparing to the U.S., um, they're falling in the U.S. for no other reason except for really herd immunity, yeah. basically, at least for Omicron. Yeah, like, no, that's kind of like a myth, apparently. But I mean, it is a myth, but at the same time, if every single person has got, I mean, really. Yeah. like I mean, you're immune for a while. Right. So at, at this least. moment, yeah. right, so many people have either vaccinated or have gotten it that the numbers are starting to fall in the U.S. That does not mean that you can go back to living as the world has never been in a pandemic. Keep your guard up, wear your masks. Absolutely. And now since we were just talking about the PCR test, how it's just so difficult to just to get an appointment, not only that, right now the PCR test results, they take way too long. Oh now. my gosh. Like in some parts of uh, some parts of town here in Santiago, for example, in the in the in the district of San Miguel, it can take up to eight days, which is well past the maximum quarantine time. Like if you right. got COVID you have to quarantine for seven days. Like, imagine being quarantined, and then after the eighth day, you receive your COVID positive. You might as well just leave the house then because you're right. over it. But that's not the idea, right? So also that there's Backlogged. a suspicion of a lack of PCR tests, like basically that the government is running out of PCR tests, which the health ministry denies, you know. But like the mayors of Santiago's Pedro Aguirre Cerda district, as well as Quilpue, they have voiced their concerns as they are not receiving the quantities that they were asking for in PCR tests. Like it, it sort of backs my suspicion that I was talking about the last time that there are a lot more antigen tests that are being used that give you a lot of false positive, which would, might also explain the, the, the high positivity rate right now. Right, but how do you even report positive antigen tests? Do you? I guess that if you go to like an institution, in if you which want, you get if you want a licencia, maybe because again, like let's say me, I'm an independent worker, I don't get licencias, like I don't get time off work, time paid for yeah. being sick. So that's what licencia means. And then um, if I was tested positive for piece for um, in an antigen test, and I was like, oh shit, I would have no who am I going to report to, and why would I? I would just isolate for seven days. Mm. Right. You know, but I think what they mean is like if you go to an institution like a medical center or whatever and you get tested. There, oh, 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 oh. You know, and I yeah. guess it could go both ways. They could either test you with an it antigen test or, or, with a, or with a PCR. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So right now in Coquimbo, they are not only receiving less than half of the PCR tests that they ordered, they Poor are Coquimbo. also running out of testing capacity. Coquimbo? Do you remember that Coquimbo was the city that had like the highest positivity rate like a few months ago? What's going on over there? Yeah, maybe this is why they're not giving them any more <laughs> tests. No more for like, you, Coquimbo. under the rug. Like, no we don't want to hear from you guys anymore. What's going on? I'm <laughs> no, super interested. They're running out of testing capacity right now because before they were like supported by other labs in other regions to just work on those tests. But apparently this is not happening anymore. I don't know for what reason. Everything's collapsed. Could be, right, could be. Or maybe that like these these uh, little like agreements that they had run out. I have no idea. But as a consequence right now of the long waiting time that many many of the people that had the PCR test taken, they returned to the doctor's office to try to find out what the fuck is going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, of course, uh, many of those are infected and they, they are thereby provoking right, right, the spread right. of the virus. You right. know, it makes things even worse. 100%. 
Okay, yeah. and also as we mentioned last week, the the government implemented a new contact tracing strategy, and that has absolutely failed. Yeah, what even happened there? Yeah, well, they said that basically, and apparently before that was a thing. Before the thing was that if you were COVID, COVID positive, apparently the government uh, was in charge of um, either holding you responsible to or tracing or like back tracing themselves your close contacts before. Now this is squarely on you if you're COVID positive. Yeah, no, that ain't gonna happen. So yeah, that ain't gonna happen. And that has totally failed. Like since the Minsal has put the the Minsal is the Ministry of Health has put the responsibility of notifying those clo close contacts of the infected themselves. The number of contacts identified per COVID patient yeah, then, has dropped from 3.5 people to 0 0.05. Gonna do, imagine, imagine, like, okay, for example, um, there were a lot of people that were contacto estrecho at a park recently, people we know. Like, yeah. there, there was at a, like a party in a park that was like responsible outside, blah, blah, blah. Somebody had it there, and then everybody had to get tested. Imagine you're there, you know four people, you don't know the, ex the other 10. Right. So you might if you do it, which I bet they didn't even know. Again, they're not making it easy to do either because you get a positive PCR test. And then what happens? Does, does the government contact you? I've never had a positive PCR, so well, I wouldn't know. I was I don't told know. by the guy who actually took the PCR test yesterday from me. He was like, look, if your result comes back positive, then a copy will be sent to the Ministry of Health. And they're basically going to take procedures, which is probably going to be like they're going to block my mobility pass and sure. maybe just check up on me. But. As are they asking you who you've seen? And that's the thing, probably not, or not anymore. I guess it used to be like that before. I haven't had COVID yet, so I can't attest to that. I don't understand why they changed this. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, look, Is okay, it here, here's the thing. Like, for me, like, and I think I've, I've, I've raised that question before because <laughs> I'm such an authority. Is just trying to look good? No, I think, like, look, I think, <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. But I think, like, how relevant right now is contact tracing? How relevant right, is it still? So that's the thing, because... Because but then why the even make a new virulence. rule about it? Like if it's not that important. Because I think you could you could make the argument that by taking this responsibility off the government's shoulders, they might free up resources that they could apply, uh, deploy otherwise. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if that's their intent, but that's mm -hmm. like the way that I would make sense of it. Because in a way, personally, I think the vi uh, given the virulence of the Omicron strain, right now contact tracing so is kind of like just, you Tough, know. Tough, virile, manly. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a very manly strain, so um, <laughs> it might be, you know, purse before sows, in a way. Uh, I mean, that would make sense. I doubt that that's what's going on, knowing I really the Fenietta government, is it. but, um, um, y you know, you know, the way things, the way I things know. are. I know. Uh, but, well, right. it's it's going on. I, I still, to this day, have not, as far as I know, had COVID. Yeah, yeah, we might as well I think everybody well in it. this room hasn't had it. I've been proud of us. Yeah. Look uh, at us. We don't know that. Maybe we're I mean, just, we don't, like, that's the at thing. At some point, there were, like, what, 25% of the tests were asymptomatic? Yeah. Like, no, I mean, my, that. I think I said the last time I was on this the podcast with you guys, my, my mother-in-law tested positive. I right. hadn't seen her. She had no symptoms. Not a one. Yep. Nothing. Not a sniffle. Not a headache. Nothing. Not no a one. sniffle. Not a sniffs. No sniffs here um, in this house. Yeah. Right. Well, in other COVID-related news, like <laughs> that was actually quite impressive, I thought. According to a recent Ipsos poll, more than 60% of Chileans are in favor of having another quarantine decree in order to slow the advance of Omicron. I was like, are we so talking about the same country here? I know. I was surprised at that. I was like, <laughs> is is it because they, there's been a lot of people who have had it? Because, for example, my family and my friends mostly have not had it. And so they haven't suffered any real negative consequences personally mm. of it. But imagine maybe if your grandpa died and then you have yeah, that trauma that 
of like it's spreading again oh my god I mean but, but I don't know yeah, because for me I was like I don't want to fucking go back into quarantine but then again you know I'm like vaxxed if, like on a, on a, on ready a, to go on a, nation, <laughs> on a nationwide scale I mean Chile has always been ahead of the curve when it came to vaccination and sure. there were a lot of countries that like relatively have been hit a lot worse than Chile has so I don't want to say that, that there aren't people that have you know hit on hard times when it came to that but it's just weird because I just see like Chile, South American country, who just like, I, we don't play by the rules, you know, like that's like, I, I, you know, I love you, Chile. I've been living here for 15 years, but this is how, how it always has been. It's just like rules are made to be broken. This this could might as well be the lemma of the state. And now everybody be like, yeah, we're wearing masks outside. Everybody's getting vaccinated. Again, like we, we want blocked, another quarantine. What's going on? We all blacked out that entire almost year, eight months that we could not. I mean. It's even insane. I say it all the time when I'm on here. It's even insane to think about the fact that we could not leave our homes for eight months. Like, yeah. I don't think you understand whoever's listening. Unless you lived it, you don't understand how intense that was. And people abided by it mostly. Yes. That's, that's the thing. Yes. We did. And now people are like, let's do it again. I'm like, what? I feel like we're in a time warp of yeah, like... And I compare this to my home country of Germany. Good old law-abiding square and rules. The rules are rules, Germany. And, and they are like out on the streets protesting the COVID like measures and like... Yeah, no, what? I mean, I mean, my, my country has never... My country, my former country has never been one to <laughs> oh, follow my rules. former country, damn. Girl, I've been here for... I've been here for eight years. Also, you you're know? not American anymore. You're not American. I am an American. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Todos son Americanos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> I live in America still. I have another sip of my delicious Chilean Becker Budweiser. Uh huh. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I just want to emphasize if you don't know what it feels like to not leave your apartment for eight months, don't talk to me. <laughs> like, it's intense. Hey, if you got Netflix, you're cool. Oh, I read. I think I read fifty-five books in Jesus in twenty twenty. Such an intellectual. It, I pretty much am. All listen, right. listen to how smart I am on this podcast. So smart. So, do you have anything else for COVID? Yep, I got three more points there. God quick damn points. You. I got, well, there's a lot of COVID things going on, but very disparate. So, on Thursday, February tenth, Chile received a new shipment of three hundred eight thousand four hundred ninety doses of Pfizer Biotech, which will be used in next booster the, shot. Exactly, because as of Monday, February seventh. Chile started giving the second booster shot to the Gen Pop, the general pop population, starting with not people just Gen Z, age. Gen Pop. No, Gen Pop. Starting with people age 55 and over that have received the last booster until August 15th, 2021. And as a last point, <laughs> bad news, good news, the WHO confirmed that the BA2 variant of the Omicron, which is also called, which I think is great, Omicron's daughter, which sounds like a fucking. No, it's Steve, not. It's called like no, it's, it's it sounds not. like a Stephen I King. I love it. It's, it sounds like Hot. a Stephen King novel, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it does. It does. Omicron's daughter. daughter, like it's just it's have just you, as dangerous as the original Omicron. Those like romance novels. Huh? Yes, you've seen those romance novels that are hilarious. It's oh, like, like Fabio. Yes, but it's like people falling in love with like the spiritual oh, yeah, entity yeah, yeah, yeah. of Jesus Omicron. Christ. I'm like it. you. How am I, how okay? If you're an author out there, there are so many hardworking writers out there in the world trying to like put their art out there. I am so sorry to you because it is not fair that somebody's like <laughs> it's a reading. payday. You you guys you are you keep going. I support you. If you've written a book, message us on Instagram or I want to support you. But 
Damn, that must be a slap in the face. Yeah, actually, I, you sent that through the chat. I don't, I don't know who, who I think Anna sent it through the chat. You sent it through well, the chat? I we, we I know sent it through the chat, but I had sent it like a year and a half ago, something yeah. similar, because okay. it it like happened almost immediately like, after Like I forwarded COVID. it to my sisters, and my sister was just like, it's official, there are no more niches anymore. Like, <laughs> it's, it's everything is taken already. I mean, so, as yeah. an NA reader, other NA readers just go, whoop, whoop. Okay, I like my literature, and also I have a master's degree in literature. I like my books to be, relatively with a plot Good. you know <laughs> i mean i can do some smut you know it doesn't have to be great literature smut. right uh you know i can be flexible but don't 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 come at me like with this omicron fabio business again there are so many great people out there writing really great literature who are like really working hard to get their stuff out there and this, these people are buying omicron stuff i just i can't i can't I can't. So yeah, Omicron's daughter next Omicron's next daughter. New York Times bestselling Hot. list Hot. <laughs> number one. Omicron's so they said it's just it is daughter. just as dangerous as the original Omicron variant. Uh, more contagious, no, though, right? But more contagious. Yeah. So get ready. They say that it's probably going to replace the original Omicron variant in a matter of month. So be ready, get your booster shot, and that's all that I have for COVID. Wasn't that fun? Yeah, that was so much fun. Uh, I have more fun so, news. So. Here's the thing. We've talked about this before. Undeniably, the truckers that protest in Chile are typically right wing, and they're, and I'm going to be, like, I don't mind being political over this because they're being assholes, and they are protesting against migrants right now. They're being assholes to migrants, immigrants that are coming into Chile. As an immigrant, I can't, like, abide by any of that. Even though people are like, oh, you're a good immigrant. I'm like, you know what? Screw that thought that because I came from the U.S., I'm a good immigrant. No, I'm no, I'm an immigrant. P people come to places for jobs and for different reasons. And so these asshole truckers are protesting immigrants and cutting off um cutting off shipments to different cities that's making the economy suffer and making people suffer and not having enough food. So it's total crap. And anyway, that's so crap. However, the fact that a trucker died during one of the protests is crappy, too. is crappy too. So the truckers, like I said, were de uh, protesting against migration because they're blaming immigrants for the rise in crime. And they were protesting in northern Chile last week. And so a trucker fell from a bridge and died during an argument with um, with a migrant. And the migrant was later arrested. So there's not a lot of details around what happened, but a lot of people are saying, like, the trucker was murdered and all of these kinds of things. Um, and the person who was arrested uh, was from is from Venezuela. So the union leaders for the protesting truckers held a teleconference with Sebastian Piñera and the interior minister. Quote, there is a call to dialogue and to understand that with dialogue we're going to have good results in terms of public order and security. And that was Maximo Pavis, uh, uh, which was the representative from the president's office, which doesn't make me feel good that they're like security rather than like it's really bad that people are being so hateful. And mm. I mean, because if you don't know, you know, if you don't know what's going on with the the protests, they're like taking um, immigrants out to the streets and yeah. beating them. They're burning their houses. They're burning their meager possessions because a lot of immigrants in the north are really poor because they're people crossing the border it's really horrible and um so it's so this is what happened and the police are currently investigating the death and um in general migration has been a big concern of voters and 
we talked about this last mm. um, podcast about how people are already uh, blaming Boric for this and for not doing anything, uh, who is our president-elect, um, but he can't do anything because he <laughs> he isn't president yet. And he responded like, I would love to do something about this. I'm very much aware of the situation, but I can't do anything because I don't take over till March 11th. Yeah. It's also Boric's birthday today. Yeah. So happy birthday, Boric. Happy He's birthday, 36. Boric. He's no longer 35. He's 36. One. So that happened. It's very sad. Um, we'll keep you updated on those. Not the birthday. You mean the death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the birthday's happy. The death is sad. Happy birthday. It's very sad. That happened. No. Well, actually, this is one of the reasons why Boric, one of the things that he said, we've, again, talked about this before. But one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to build a train through Chile, that way, th- if truckers go on strike or something, that there's not a cut off of resources. Yeah, there's no monopoly. There's no, there's no way that the people of the whole entire country are going to suffer mm. because of whatever the qualms are with the truckers. Right. Truckers should be able to protest if they're not, you know, burning people's homes down. You know, people should have the right to protest as part of what is your right as a citizen here, not as an immigrant, by the way, which is kind of crappy. But, um,. But that's one thing that Boris wants to do, to make sure that supply chains don't get cut off, because it really does give, like, a huge power to these truckers. You know what I hate most about this whole thing, Tell about this, this death? It's not the death it's I mean, of course, the death is horrible, and I feel sorry for this trucker's family, but, like, what I hate most about this whole thing is just water on the mills of this anti- anti-immigrant rhetoric. Yep, you know? 100%. This is just going to fuel the right-wing rhetoric. It's like, see, see, but telling you, it's all them immigrants who cause all them cram. And you know what? makes me even more angry is there were videos remember of that 16 year old kid during the protests about i think it was in the late late 2019 like after the beginning of the social movement like november december and there was a video of a of a paco of a carabinero the police pushing a 16 year old off of the bridge and he uh he died right no No, he did i don't know if he died but he like got really really injured almost died and it was like totally forgotten because again we the government of chile hasn't done hardly anything i mean even if he didn't die so many other people who were protesting children Mm. like 16 17 18 year olds died lost eyes and yet the government has done nothing even though internationally it chile has been recognized as violating human rights nothing has been done and yet you know that this thing this thing is going to fuel the anti-immigrant rhetoric yeah. i mean i've heard it in people i know my students being like but the drugs are going up. i'm like who's buying the drugs dude children's are buying the drugs let's not blame yeah. the immigrants i mean okay let's be fair i mean it's it's not like okay this was going to push the anti-immigrant rhetoric it's not like that the left didn't what wasn't outraged when the thing happened with the 16 year old i mean of course and they pushed that like i make air quotes here the anti-carabinero rhetoric so to speak of course people were like highly critical carabineros but the thing is like merit right now okay like do they deserve to be criticized for that? I think so. Yeah. Do immigrants as a whole, as a concept, need to be criticized no, for being I mean, murderous? Like, it's, be, it's, no. It's <laughs> common sense. Like, dude, this, this, there's a 16-year-old kid yeah. going up against a fully armed... I mean, if you've seen... I don't know I don't if know, you've that's seen... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you, listener, have seen how, how armed these people are. You, you have not seen an armed police officer until you've seen a fucking armed Garabinero. They're armed to the teeth. The branch of the military. They are a branch of the military here. And they're armed with tanks. Like in the streets, the 16 year old kid pushed, physically pushed videos of it off this bridge. And let's, if I, I can tell you right now, 
I'm an immigrant. If somebody in my boyfriend was born in Bolivia, now he's lived here his whole life, he's nationalized, and nobody knows he's basically, if you meet him, you would never know he's from Bolivia. But I swear, if somebody came after my boyfriend and started burning our shit because he was born in Bolivia, I guarantee you I'd go and get in somebody's face. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I, would, I would never push anybody. I'm not a violent person at all. At all. I've never touched anybody in my life. But I can just see how a conflict can get started and escalate into a point of like if you if you come after my family like if you come after anybody's family like burning my shit down because i live here because yeah, my boyfriend defend was yourself, born right. in a different place and yeah. you're and i mean they're burning baby strollers they're burning yeah. like what it's are just you disgusting. it's just disgusting and i'm like i'm i feel bad i you know what that trucker has a family mm. and everything but you know what i'm disgusted that he was there in the first place he did not deserve to die. Nobody deserves to get hurt in a protest. But, dude, the hate, I can't. I can't yeah, with the hate. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of hate going on right now, especially in the north, which is things are getting a little bit out of control up there in the northern regions. About two weeks ago, and I think as far as I know, it's still going on, there have been like massive anti-immigration protests oh, in Iquique, gross. in the northern town. Well, basically the same time you were just talking yep. about. Yep. Like, uh so that that protest about two weeks ago that was about four thousand people strong demanding the expulsion of what they called foreign criminal elements you know tents were torn down and at least one person was assaulted by the crowd and the protest was actually triggered by a video that showed two carabineros being attacked by suspected venezuelan drug yeah drug traffickers or drug dealers if you will you know the you know the jury's still out on that one but that's the video so Still, the Carabineros during that protest, during that protest, they have made no arrest as there had not been any quote unquote serious disorder. Mm. Right. And one day later in the town of Arica, about thousand people and also mainly truck drivers, uh, they blocked the Southern Access Road into town, protesting the increased crime rate and violence, prompting the Minister of the Interior, uh, Rodrigo Delgado, to travel to Iquique and sit down with the protesters. Uh, and, you know, talk about a way out of this situation. At this point, it's pretty much everything that the current government can do because they really can't do more than just sit down and talk, to be honest. So in general, as I was saying, like the situation is getting heated up in the northern regions from a general strike in the Tarapacá region as well to the protests about increased violence in the zone. And while the focus is in general on security issues, because, you know, I would say that the large, uh, major the vast majority of people who actually go out on the streets, they are mostly worried about, it's it's not anti-immigrant per se, like what motivates them is security issues, but they have a strong anti-immigration rhetoric. That, that That's what's concerning, you know? There's, it, immigration, no matter where you are, is super, super complex. Yeah. And you've been here for 15 years, I've been here for eight, and I do not have my permanent residency. Imagine if you got here right before the pandemic, you're not allowed to work in Chile, mm. If you don't have a visa, you can, but you can legally be here because you're called in tramite, in the process of your visa. Yeah. I have been in process for my, my, my definite visa for three years. Imagine <laughs> legal you, limbo. Want, you want to be here. You want to work legally, but you legally cannot get a contract and work legally in this country till you have that official visa. What are you going to do? What do you do? Your family is starving. You don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And so we say, oh, the drug traffickers, the da-da-da-da-da, the X, Y, Z. Look, you don't understand what it's like. Yeah, or you have to work off the books, and then you're automatically a you know, you're delinquent. Labeled, uh, my Spanish teacher told me today, not today, but a couple days ago when I had class with her. She's from Peru, and she was living in Chile, and she got in a really bad accident. She got really hurt, and she went to the emergency room. 
And when she went to the emergency room, she was like, uh, okay, I have this insurance. How much do I need to pay? Because she just wanted to know, like, how much she needed to pay. And then at the emergency room, they told her, no, 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 you don't have to pay anything because you have Bonasa, you're covered. And she was like, okay, great. And a few weeks later, she received a bill. And so she went back up to the hospital and she said, I'm confused because I was told I don't need to pay, but here's the bill. So what's going on? And the woman at the counter screamed at her and said, you immigrants want everything for free. Jeez. And she was like, I, and she, of course, she just <laughs> like was the? stood there. She was like, I don't know what to do. Like she, she went up there because she was confused. She was told she didn't need to pay. She was willing to pay. She just was confused. Yeah, like, right. is this a, do I need to pay? Is there a clerical error? Like what's going on? Mm. And in the end, she didn't have to pay because she had insurance. She was legally here. She had insurance. She didn't have to pay. But this woman who worked at the hospital took it upon herself to be like, you immigrants, X, Y, Z. And it's like, look, you don't understand if you aren't an immigrant or you've never immigrated, take a step back because it is so hard. <laughs> no matter what country, it's yeah. hard. It's expensive. Yeah, and especially if you come from, let's say, a, a underprivileged country, if you right. will. Right. Look, I'm saying it's hard, and I'm from the freaking U.S. Yeah. Like, imagine being from Haiti or Peru or Venezuela Colombia, whatever, or Colombia. Yeah. Like, it just it makes me so angry, and it makes me like, ugh, I can't. I can't. Yeah. Right. So, in Getting back to the topic, so in front of this backdrop, the future minister of the exterior, Alejandra Urrejola, they stepped up, she stepped up, and, well, they, I guess her pronouns are, is her, she, so she stepped up and urged for the Escazú agreement to be ratified mm -hmm. by the incoming administration, ipso facto. And actually, I just want to talk about a little bit about this because I think I did some research about this before and we talked or you talked with Alicia talked, about this yeah. before briefly Season but it's one. it's I delved into it a few months ago which is a re really interesting thing because first and foremost this agreement is about the rights of access to information about the environment public participation in environmental decision making environmental justice and a healthy and sustainable environment for current and future generations unquote but it also touches on questions of human rights and their violations in general so it last made the news in December last year when uh, Javiera Rojas who was 43. She was found beaten to death in Calama, mm -hmm. who was well known for her activism in the region, like the opposition to dam projects. And the whole thing about the Escazú agreement is that ironically, Chile helped to negotiate this treaty and has been instrumental in making it happen. But it hasn't signed it in the end. Yep. So what happened there? So the official argument of President Pinera was that it could expose its the country's sovereignty in, the, in international courts at a time when it was holding a dispute before the International Criminal Court with its neighbor Bolivia for an exit to the sea. And they also said that it was not the core issue, but the wording that uh, it was not the core issue of the agreement, but the wording that could become problematic. However, like on October. 2021 when the so-called pandora papers became public it hmm. became it, it turned out that the pinera family sold the dominga mining project to oh, mr yeah. carlos delano for about 152 Del million Ano? dollars delano which is i think one of the <laughs> best surnames ever delano means of the anus yeah it took me just don't don't I, ruin Definitely. it took it. me like literally five years not to snicker at this like a freaking 12 year not. old if, if your name <laughs> Delano, change your name. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it'd be like if your last to name was, if my last name was Bethany of the penis, of the butthole. Nobody should keep that. If you're proud to be of the butthole, I mean, you know what? But Good on you, but I'd change yeah. my name. It should be Delano, but okay, fine. <laughs> of the butthole. So Mr. Carlos of the butthole 
So he bought this Dominga mining project from the Pineda family for ass. about <laughs> nice for about one hundred fifty-two million dollars. One hundred fifty-two million dollars. Who was to pay the family in three installments, and the last of which, which was around nine million, which seemed very little considering the overall price, but okay, that was only to be paid under the condition that the area in which the mine is located would not be declared an environmental protection zone. So now you get why Pineda didn't want to have the Escazú thing ratified because he saw its own. Pre- so okay, this is all allegedly, of course, and oh, yada yeah, yada yada, but allegedly. yeah, but you can draw your own conclusions. So, given what Boric has talked about on his campaign trail and his very strong focus on environmental politics and everything and human rights, he is uh, probably going to, oh, actually, I'm hoping that he is going to get the uh, Iskasu oh, yeah. agreement ratified oh, yeah. as soon as oh, yeah. that's, possible. That's going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what, what happens with, with Boric. I, you know, if you don't, even if you don't agree with his politics, like the fact that he's just not an investor in like big things that are happening in Chile is kind of nice. Like, I mean, he, it's just nice to know that, you know, he's not making money off the land. Mm. You know, it's kind of nice to seek that. Um, speaking of land, so Codelco, which is the mining company, the copper mining company owned by the state, is going to be trying to get a sustainable certification by 2023. So uh, Codelco is the world's top mining, pro- uh, well, yeah, is the top mining producer, top producer of copper. Of uh, but do they produce or do they? Okay, anyway, I mean, they mine, mine it. copper. They mine copper, right? It says if producer. you could produce copper out of thin air, that would be so great. Copper miners are increasingly looking to prove their sustainability credentials as buyers are starting to pay attention to the impact of products. And, of course, Codelco is super important to Chile because it is the only state-run mining project. So um, the copper mark was developed in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to demonstrate that copper production is done responsibly. And Codelco said... Since 2021, we have traced 100% of our production according to the standards that are comparable to the criteria required by the International Assurance System, the Copper Mark. So we hope that the process to obtain certification will be smooth. And that was the Vice President of Corporate Affairs, Renato Fernandez. And Codelco says its flagship El Teniente Mine will be the first division to participate in the initiative. To receive the certification, each mine must meet 32 sustainable sustainability criteria relating to issues such as greenhouse gas emissions, health and safety, um, tailings management, which I have no idea what that means. Which one? What? Tailings management? I'm, no, no, I don't know. Booties? Oh. <laughs> How much booty? No. Biodiversity, business integrity, gender equality, and human rights, which I appreciate that the fact that sustainability also somehow includes gender equality and human rights, but awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Um, And then they will evaluate every three years. So um, I think that's super cool. Go Codelco, go. Yeah, go, go Codelco. Go, go Codelco, go. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Okay, so we we started with the harsh things. Mine's kind of mine's kind of cool. This is um, the I'm going to talk about a little bit about Chilean film and art. So the Chilean short film Bestia. Which was directed by directed by Hugo Covarrubias has been nominated for an Oscar award this year for best animated short film. Um, it was learned that the project, based on the life of Ingrid 
Olderuk. It's Olderuk. There you go. Olderuk. There you go. German. An intelligence agent during. Obviously, not a good guy. An intelligent agent during the good girl. Augusto Pinochet dictatorship will compete in this category of short films. Actor Leslie Jordan and producer Tracy Ellis Ross were in charge of making this news known in the same category of um, Oscar 2022, the short films Affair of the R, Robin Robin, and Box Ballet, and Windshield Wiper will compete. Um, so the, what this is about is Ingrid... What is... Olderuk. There you go. Is one of the sinister figures responsible for human rights violations in Chile. She is known as the Dog Woman because she was she used animals, usually her dog name Volodia, to sexually abuse people detained in the La Venda Sexy torture center. It's called La what? Venda Sexy. Yeah. Uh, I know. Th- this is not really horrible. This is just tasteless. <laughs> I, I think horrible's worse than tasteless. Yeah, but that's but I mean it's not. You mean a, not like, a good name? Too, yeah, it's like, like let's horrible, but it's the... also just. No, I, I'm just dev- I, I I can't anyway. Uh, it sounds disgusting. I want to I want to see it because I want to support Chilean art because here's the thing, Chilean Chile has amazing art and artists, but Chileans don't support their own art and artists. So if you're listening to this, go watch it, buy it, pay for it, support these artists. So. Actually, it's sort of a new dawn for the audiovisual industry in Chile. And go to the Chistola shows. Oh, yeah. Go to our shows. Yeah. <laughs> support us. Let that slip. I didn't even. Yeah. That's a good segue. It's not all Chileans, but hey. Hey, it's, it's February 19th. 3,000 pesos. You know, support local artists. Um, and you can meet me and Pinguino. Actually, I won't be at the show, but I'm coordinating it. Pinguino will be. So, Gabriel Boric, 36 today. Um, he was elected in December. He pledged more than double the state's contribution to arts, um, which obviously was greeted with a lot of fanfare. Um, which probably is not that much anyway. I honestly, mean... no. And the thing is, is Chile ha- has a very pre- prestigious, especially for such a small country, yeah. film like community. Um, so this quote says, if everything we have achieved in the last 10 years was done with so little money, imagine what we can achieve with an increase in audiovisual yeah. funding. I think that, that was pretty, sorry, but I think that, but that's actually politically a very smart move because he probably was looking at, the, okay, what are the budgets? What are the assignments here? It's like, how much did we put it to arts? Like, really? Really? I mean, and he's probably like, you want to double that. You know, that's a win for me politically. It's good for like, all, and you, because I can just say it's like, I just doubled this whole thing. It's not a lot of money. It's not going to hurt the freaking uh, budget. Of yeah, the, of but the you know he's also from Universal Chile, which is like you know art. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that he's it not was, supporting it oh, anyway. Sure, sure, but sure. it's also like a smart move to make, just politically. Right. So in recent years, Chile has triumphed at the Oscars, and it started with Pablo Lorraine's No. Have you seen No? It is so good. No. Really, <laughs> Pinguino and I were talking about this recently. Yeah, but, you know, in my defense, like I really do not watch a lot of movies. What's really cool about No is they actually. So it's about the See No campaign when we were coming back to democracy. What's really cool is that they actually have the same actors that were involved, like the, not the actors; they weren't actors at the time. The same people that were involved in the campaign come back to do the movie, and so you see those same exact people, and they look older, but then they like. Then they show the real footage of the campaigns. It's really cool. So it's No. That's all it's called. It's on Netflix. It's really, really good. Okay, anyway. So that was nominated in 2012, and it's a really great movie. I've watched it for the second time literally last week. Um, 
which my boyfriend had never seen again because Chileans don't watch oh, Chilean okay. stuff and it's, it makes me insane. So um, then there was an Oscar win for Sebastian Lelios, A Fantastic Woman, um, which is about the chan- trans-, trans woman who lives in Chile and that was in 2017. So there was also um, Mati- Mai- Maites Al- Alberdi's documentary The Mole Agent, I've seen that one. You've seen that one? Yeah, I yeah. I can, seen I, that I can one. actually book that one as a win. I haven't seen it. Did you like it? <laughs> it was a it was it was not an easy not it was it was a bit of a drag, to be honest. I guess that's the reason why I don't watch a lot of movies because I'm just like this has no fleshy CGI, you know what's going on. Yeah, you're a nerd. I just uh it was it's a lot of bangs it had, and it has, laughs. Lenny's not interested. No, but it's like it's it has like this powerful so social message embedded in it so that's what oh, kind of made like it interesting right in my fucking alley. absolutely so um so there's a lot been a lot of really amazing things happening in chile um so then there's also this quote for every peso that the state has invested in our cinema the sector has managed to raise only three and it says the investment made by the state is tripled in the hands of the sector due to financing that comes mainly from abroad and private investors so it's like Chile. Like we gotta, we gotta support our artists, man. They're they're doing awesome internationally. People, I was just talking off audio to you guys about how the number one Latin American writer right now is a Chilean, and I do not know a Chilean that's read her. It's Valiente. I have not. Okay, uh, okay, I lied. Pinguino. I've just got a Chilean Pinguino. human. Uh, yeah, Pinguino, who spent some of his life in the U.S. So that doesn't surprise me. Boric pledged nearly double the budget, as I said uh, earlier. This is currently between 0.3% and 4% of the federal budget to 1%. This may seem like a small change, but this translates to a leap from 328 million to 821 million. Mm. So this is going to be a huge jump for the audiovisual, audiovisual industry. And this quote says... Securing funding is also a slow, slow and bureaucratic. It mu- it's much easier to get foreign funding than local funding normally. So um, then there was uh, Guillen Carlo Nassi. He's a Quixote Films producer and founder president of Chile's Academy of Cinematography Arts. He said Boric is the same as me, he points out. Previous governments promised to increase funding for the arts and failed to do so. So we're hopeful it will be a diff- different this time. Um, so it's, it's really, uh, I don't know, like a positive thing that he's supporting this. There's people who saying that there have, they've been neglected. They've, the, the country has been receiving a lot of international money and support and praise. And like a lot of the presidents have been like, look at us, look how good we're doing, but they haven't been supporting. And so it's like left a really bitter like taste in a lot of the artists mouth. Like, yeah, we worked our, worked our butts off to get to where we are with no money and no support. And yet you're tweeting about how great Chile is and you haven't, and the the citizens and the government haven't been supporting. So Patting your own shoulders, patting your own shoulders, doing, doing exactly. Nothing for so it. I'm hoping that we can slowly, with support from the president-elect, eventually going to be in March. The president will also push other Chileans to support this. There's actually a movie right now in theaters, a cartoon that's Chilean. It's about like a little. I've no, I haven't seen it yet. It's like a little Mapuche girl and like a wolf. Really? Yeah, and it's in theaters, oh, and it's called? like I I don't remember what the name is. But it's like failing in the theaters because nobody's going to see it. Like, take your kids to go see these movies. Yeah, because also it's in the theaters right now. It's 
not a lot of people go to the theaters these days for obvious oh, reasons. Oh, you want to know how many people went to the theaters to go see Spider-Man in Chile? I mean, probably a lot more than for Chilean indie, you know, like short film. If but you're take your, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, but what I'm saying is like if, if we were in normal times, like a lot more people would have gone. Okay, this is called um, Nahuel y el Libro Mágico. That's what it's know, called. It doesn't ring a bell, so I've heard about it, but no. And, um, well, okay, so what I'm saying also is, because I know, I know Chile, I live in Chile, I am a participant in the Chilean things of the, like, the default <laughs> to download something when you want to see it, pay money to these artists. These are independent artists, they're not affiliated with, like, huge companies like Warner Brothers, Disney, whatever, not that there's anything wrong with that, but pay these people, they deserve to have money. So yeah. go on, go and rent it online, don't yeah. just download it, support these artists. Right on, right on. Right on, smite on. Right on. Well, talking about another Chilean invention, investigators from the University of Chile, the Universidad de Chile, they've come up with a concept for pizzas and energy bars made of ground-up crickets. Hmm, I had yep. crickets when I was in Mexico. Right on, crickets. I've had some buggy bugs in China, I think. I don't know if crickets were among the nothing, so dragonflies, are all the same in the end. Are they? Are all bugs the same in the end? <laughs> You're insectist. Don't be insectist. Don't be insectist. So the objective, the objective of this project was to create a sustainable food alternative for Chileans to replace eventually meat. Yep, makes sense in a way. And they chose crickets just because that was like the weirdest justification for this whole thing. They just they chose it just because uh, they have never been used for food before in the history of the country. Is like, okay, that that's a criteria. Um. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's use crickets. That's yeah. never been done before. Yeah, exactly. He was like, okay, let's do that. It's so chilly and I can't even. This has never been done before. Let's try it. Yeah. It'll be fine. Why not? So they brought live crickets to the lab, which were then frozen and later fried. And first they served the volunteers. They like just gathered a few volunteers. They served them pizza with regular meat slices, carne mechada as they call it here. And then the other pizza was with fried crickets. But mind you, whole crickets no, like they didn't no, even no, grow no, no, it was no, just no, like no. the crickets were right it's, on top of the no, pizza but no. but both pizzas apparently well were uh, like well received though they had to admit the meat pizza was slightly more favored i wonder why it might have done okay, that might have to do something with the presentation is quite open there is a mental aspect to eating like no kidding a hundred percent and when I had crickets very recently, this year, like only like a couple months ago in Mexico, the thing was just like knowing you're eating a cricket. And I like, it's just mentally, it's the thing. Yeah. Also, they're fucking crunchy. Crunchy AF. They, they, when you eat it, it sounds and feels like you're eating a cricket. Yep. Uh, hold not, on. What? Like it? Oh, like it? Like, really? Yeah. It's like. Okay. <laughs> crunch, because my, my experience was more like potato chips, kind of like you. I mean, no, I mean, and like you can feel like that you're eating the leg. It's just a lot. To now, take in. <laughs> again, if it was ground up or something, that'd be different. I've had like ground up like ants, like in like a like a salt right. in Mexico. It was really. I mean, couldn't see them. You couldn't. It wasn't the texture wasn't right, different. Right, right. Just like don't, no, don't don't tell me about it. I don't believe you when you say that yeah. both pieces. And are I mean, you're right seeds. about this. This this whole thing is about the presentation. I mean, I used to travel a lot to Peru for work, and you know the cuy, the the cui. guinea oh, pig. Oh my goodness! Yeah, is very big on the on the food menu there. So, and I've tried it, but I me tried too. it as one of these at one of these upscale restaurant called Astrid and Gaston uh, you might have heard of it so it's very upscale very <laughs> Sorry, good you might have heard of it <laughs> you're out of my league no, here no. 
it's upscale, it's nice, it's good food, whatever. And they had kui there, and I was like, you know, might as well try it. And the presentation was nice. It was like you don't know that it was the little that little rodent that you were eating, but for and me, it was tasty. For now, me, the like thing a, is, a piece, a, a dead animal, like a dead big animal, is not something that bothers me because I'm from Arkansas, and so like I've seen <laughs> the like the spiceted pig and like all that stuff. That actually doesn't bother me as much as bugs do. Yeah, but okay, so no, the, but like because when I went to Peru, I actually had the kui with the face and everything, but it didn't yeah, bother me. Because, I just yeah, didn't that's like the it. Thing. It's like it's if you go to the countryside and like you have like a freaking it looks like they take the entire guinea pig and they just like throw it into the deep fryer and they just like pull it out and it's like with a little like that that doesn't bother me it's the same as like eating a fish that has a face it doesn't bother me at all oh yeah well i guess it's just like depends on your definition of food in a way because it was it's greasy yeah no that was a different preparation there anyway coming back to this whole thing so as i said like these pizzas both pizzas but also the cricket pizza was favorably received apparently people liked it which was surprising enough Lies. and in terms of flavor the cricket pizza did just as well as the meat pizza there wasn't even like if like they didn't even show an inclination towards the meat pizza they also developed energy bars made out of ground up crickets you know and those were also well received i could see that with a little difference in flavor compared to regular energy bars and maintaining a good level of satiety mind you so the investigators, they hope that they can take this idea to the market uh, as it has a lot, of course, a lot smaller water and carbon fingerprint than, than meat and other ingredients, you know. So Who's eating meat in an energy bar? No, I mean, we're talking about pizzas and stuff <laughs> <just> like that. <laughs> Made out saying. of bacon. <laughs> bacon, oh, man, energy bacon energy bar. bar. Damn, how great would like, that be? I want to know what the protein content is, like from what they're using, like maybe the powders or whatever compared to the crickets. Because if it's not any more protein... And it's the footprint's about the same. If it's not meat, like why would you choose cricket over? No, but no, I think that because that's why they explicitly mention not only the carbon but also the water footprint. Because for those sure. crops, you have to use a lot of water. So I guess. But how many plants do crickets eat in order to exist? What breed? kind of plants do they eat? That's also right. a thing. Like maybe also crops that don't need All a lot I'm of water. All I'm trying to say is I support this, but I don't want to eat some cricket. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll, you know well, what? Well, you might I'll not take, have a choice further down the road. That's fine. You know what? If you guys are being like, if you eat cricket bars, it'll save the planet. I'll do it. I really will. I mean, I'm already like going <laughs> I'm going to have my pork on a spit. Stu- I already stomach the, the non-dairy milk. Even though it's not my favorite, I still I'll stomach it for the universe, for the world, just for you, listener. <laughs> You're such a silly girl. <laughs> I want my meat. I was raised in Arkansas. I just, I mean, again, different perspective, right? Break. Peeing. Getting my last chip. Oh my goodness. Mm. Nope. Never that, but. <laughs> well, leave it in it's my pride all right people coming to our people people coming to our main topic today the whole chile venezuela chile suela thing now let's top this off with a coa mm-hmm. cow yeah with a cow we're not Koa. we're okay <laughs> you know Koa, you ha- Koa you is a different tell, thing here if you can't tell so far yeah we're we, not we're not professional journalists no, we are uh, nerds, professional nerds, who yeah. are, are super invested in um, nerdy shit. In nerdy shit because we like it, but we're not. If you happened upon this podcast thinking like I'm gonna get some 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 stuff, hard hitting journalism. I mean, um, you got some with a cricket pizza. I'm just saying we're not the worst journalists out there, but we're definitely not the best. There you go. That's what I'm saying yep. about it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. There's that. And also that being said, now. Um, I just want to quickly mention that 
Bethany and I, we've, we've been knowing each other for a couple of years. I know where she stands politically. She knows where I stand politically. And we have not uh, rehearsed. Yet. Huh? We haven't killed each other yet. We haven't killed each other yet. No, we respect each other very much. But we have also, a lot in that spirit, we have not talked about what we're, how we're going to broach the subject. So, or where our brooches. Yeah, not true. So this is going to be interesting because we're probably going to broach the subject from two different angles and two different perspectives. Now, let me start this whole thing off a little bit with a definition of the term Chinezuela. Because you might have heard about this because people were like, especially, you know, when the, when the whole thing with the whole thing with the Constitutional Convention got voted in. Well, actually, when after the Estallido Social and when people voted for the rewriting of the Constitution. And then later as well, when Boris got ele elected president, like the whole Chilezuela term came up again right. in the right wing media and the right wing sphere right-wing rhetoric, if you Which will. Which is Chile and Venezuela. Exactly. And let me just quickly explain to you where that came from and why it is what it, what it is. He's, he's nerdy. He, ah, because, yeah. And because I like stats and there are a lot of stats. and No, there are no stats in there. I wouldn't even know how to put stats in there, to be honest. If, <laughs> 15 percent if, of Chileans believe that. If I could, I mean, there's probably Chile's one percentage in there. By. No, there are a few stats coming up, but, you know, not that much. Anyway, so... In November 2017, there's the first number, just before the runoff election between Pineda and Guiller, the ex-athlete and center-right-wing Re uh, Renovación Nacional party member Erika Oliveira, she said in a televised interview that she's going to vote for Pineda because she, quote, wouldn't want to live in a country like Venezuela. A week later, then Foreign Affairs Minister because Roberto... would bring yeah. about Venezuela. Yeah. That is yeah. so funny. Okay, now, you, list, dear listener, you got to know that Guillermo was actually under fire from the left side of the political spectrum for being too right wing. Right. Right. I mean, that right. was. I mean, yeah. I mean, for example, my. I mean, he was more left than Piñera, sure, but. Oh, I mean, come on, that's. Yeah. I would say that's not hard, but we did have an election between Cast and Boric recently. Yeah, so no kidding. I mean, that sounds. No, but the for Overton example, window, a lot little... of my friends uh, vote like because a lot of my friends are very like political, so they will go vote, but they voted like they put put an asterisk like that means like you go physically to vote but you say yeah. like i am not voting yeah or you draw a dick on the yeah like no i don't think that i think it was very professional at least from in my boyfriend oh, you know what asterisk means in chilean spanish right asterisk yeah yeah, yeah no no yeah, not even kidding asterisk mm -hmm. okay <laughs> um so anyway that's that's rich with the gear thing yeah so she was like, yeah, I don't want to live in a country that's like Venezuela, which also, you know, prompted a lot of collective cringing there. Then a week later, then Foreign Affairs Minister Roberto Ampuero, he retweeted a tweet by Maduro expressing his support for Guillermo, which later turned out to be fake, <laughs> which was not yeah, even something. I cannot something. see that M Maduro would ever support yeah. Guillermo. Now, Maduro is not, just also mentioning, Maduro yeah. is not really in support of Boric either. Yeah, even though he, I think he congratulated him, but like, who didn't? You know, it's literally who yeah. didn't, which is other, something else we're gonna get into. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, also like, I don't right. wanna, I don't wanna say that Roberto Ampuero knew that it was fake. I don't think he would do that, but it's okay. just you know. Okay. Huh? I mean, like he's just like, oh, see, like Maduro is supporting here, so of how course old he, is this man? he does he know it. how to use a computer? And ah, no, he's he's outside that age range, I guess. So this is when the term Chilezuela first started, started making its rounds on the internet. Now, right-wing UDI party member, 
Oh, that's the member, uh, that's the political party of Pinochet. Thank you. Every time I say UDI, I point at Bethany. Udi, then Udi. It's her Udi. It's her prompt to say that it's Pinochet's party. Pinochet party. So, uh, right-wing UDI party member Mario Cáceres, he claims that he invented the term, but the jury's still out on that one. So apparently it's like a collective invention of the internet. Pinguino invented the term. We all know this. It, we all know that. That little right-wing penguin. Pinguino in 2017? I don't know. Why doesn't Pinguino tell us? 21 oh i'll barely drink in the u.s so cute so cute so like that that word kind of like you know got around at the time it sort of disappeared it got around like a record then it disappeared for a while but then it has resurfaced as uh, resurfaced as of late starting with the emergence of the constitutional convention and even more so when it became increasingly clear that Boric was going to be the country's next president. But also during the estallido. That was a super big thing during the estallido as well. Yeah, but that was kind of like when the... Yeah, okay, granted. Like, in a way, the Constitutional Convention, estallido, kind of like yeah, went hand in I, hand I, there. I, I, I just remember being like, look, we're Venezuela. And I'm like, um, everybody, no, we're not. Yeah. You're still going to the store and getting your, like, 10 things and boxes of milk because you have 10 children. Yeah, and like, also because when down. the pandemic started, people were running out of toilet paper and people were like, see, Venezuela. <laughs> so, and I'm like... Yeah. Then stop buying 80,000 rolls. Yeah. You're contributing to shortages. Now it goes without without saying that, although may, may, many people use this term sarcastically, me included, yep. and with a sense of humor, Same. it is actually highly disrespectful towards Chileans and especially towards Venezuelans. 100%. Because it insinuates the comparison with the Banana Republic, right? So, like, be careful. Don't throw this around lightly. It's a very despective term, actually. Yeah, I mean, like... I, 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 I definitely think, like, be careful, especially if you're, like, visiting Chile and you're a gringo and you don't understand your necessarily your company. Like, for example, I know around my friends I can say it and they know who Mm. I am and they know how you mean it and how I am. And and they know anytime I say it, I'm saying it in a way that is, like, making fun of the fact that that term even exists because it's so ridiculous. But like, and I have Venezuelan friends who use the term as well, and it's in the same vein, right? It's because yeah. it's ridiculous. But again, you might say it in the wrong company, and it can be extremely offensive um, to somebody. So, um, yeah. it, or you might have people be like, "Yeah, right." Yeah, like actually <laughs> believe that it is a real thing, and then it's see like, that's what I've been saying all all along. See, we know? basically, bleh, my dad owned five houses, now he only owns four and a half. Venezuela. <laughs> Now, there are actually two interpretations of the term. Like, you also got to be clear of that. So, I think one one interpretation, which I think is the less common one, is a fear of, quote-unquote, over-immigration by Venezuelans and the, quote-unquote, replacement of Chilean culture and values, you know? I actually... I'm it, not involved enough with right-wing people to even think about Yeah, that. but I think this is, is one of the, of the interpretations. Now, l- right now, there are about... I'm talking I'm about stats. 500,000... No, hold your peace for now. <laughs> About oh, like five, 500,000 uh, Venezuelans in the country, which is a third of all foreigners in Chile, which is, you know, and that was actually a number that they published in 2020 or something or mid-2021. So it's probably going to be a bit more than that. So suffice to say that right now Venezuelans make up a third or even more of the overall foreigners in Chile. Yes. Okay. B- I'm holding back, Miss Francis. Okay, so... First of all, good for them, immigration. I'm supporting immigration of all types. 
Second of all, there's a reason that there are so many Venezuelans in Chile. It's because Venezuelans, because of Piñera, have a very, very easy road to immigration. Or had. No, they still do. They do? They do. The road to immigration for Venezuelans is easier than it is for you, a German, and for me, somebody from the U.S., which we have some of the easiest roads. For example. Those damn Venezuelans taking away my immigration process. (laughs) I know. God damn it. I mean, good for I don't. I'm. I'm not like. I'm, just I'm, I'm not kidding. like. How dare I would love to have my papers as fast as as a lot of my Venezuelan friends do, but that's just not how it is. So, for example, my best friend Mary. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. Her boyfriend is Venezuelan. He has not been here half the time that I have been here, and he already has his definitiva because they have a special route to immigration, right. and there is, and that's a refugee route. And there's a lot of speculation for, like, why Pineda specifically, because he did this, like, created that refugee route. Like, a lot of leftists think it's because he wanted more voters that were Venezuelan to, like, support him. And there's, like, all of that. Like, we don't know if that's true. Mm -hmm. But I will say, like, if you're, like, hating on Venezuelans for immigrating, like, look, if if you're a right-wing person hating on immigrants, uh, put your anger towards the correct person which is Pineda, who did this like first of all i don't think you should be angry anyway because immigrants are awesome in this backbone of every say, first like, world country put your anger onto i don't know italians <laughs> yeah but i mean like like <laughs> just kidding we love italians <laughs> i don't have any italian friends yeah that's why i'm saying it <laughs> oh okay i was like i need italian friends i have this i have a lot of friends from a lot of countries who know italians italians ruin italian <laughs> <laughs> which should be by all means be part of nuno we're gonna come for you Okay. But all I'm trying to say is, like, again, people, don't, you, nobody understands how immigration works, and then they get angry about things they don't even know how it works. Right. And it's like, look, why do we have more, why do we have more Venezuelans than anybody else? Because it's easier for them to immigrate yeah. than it is for any other nationality, nationality yeah. to immigrate. It's so much easier. So it just makes freaking sense. And if you're angry about it, how about you be angry at Piñera and not the Venezuelans? Like, somebody be like, here, Bethany, you can have a cookie. I'm going to take the cookie. Why are you mad at me? They gave me the cookie. Like, shut up. Like, it's not my fault. The cookie was there. I'm just taking it. I don't know if that's a good metaphor. I'm just angry. Right now, I want a cookie. But fun thing you should mention, you mentioned the whole thing about the voting, because why am I mentioning this, that there are about 500,000 Venezuelans in the country, which make up, you know, about a third of all immigrants in Chile, is because a lot of right-wing people, ironically enough, are just worried that, oh my God, like Venezuelans are going to, you know, uh, influence the election. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Now, one thing is, yes, a lot of the Venezuelans that actually come here and have the right to vote are more likely to vote for the right-wing parties than for the left-wing parties because there's a reason that they left Venezuela in the right. first if place. If you're a left-wing Venezuelan, you're staying in Venezuela yeah. to support the like the left-wing government. Like that's just the, uh, yeah. I just yeah. Well, I'm we, already worked up, Lenny. Right. I'm already worked up. We just started. Right. Oh, not necessarily that. I would also say, like, you've had a very bad experience with the left-wing government there, you know? So it's just like, sure. you'd be like, okay, like, I'm, I'm branded here. And, like, I don't want this to happen and again. And you say that. And, okay, uh, I'm, not yeah. into, I'm not going into, like... Okay. Uh, see, this, I'm, is, I'm, this is what I said was going to happen tonight. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm going to stay away from the, that. The thing, the thing is that people are very worried about, like, the uh, Venezuelan vote. Like, you also have to consider that, for now, only about 10,260 Venezuelans have the right to vote, which is about 2% of all Venezuelans in the country. 
those are fewer than Colombians and even Equatorians who hold the right to vote here. Sure. So they're not really making a dent right. into the electoral but again, process. Which makes sense because the, the refugee, um, you have to be here five years mm -hmm. with, a, with a valid visa. Yeah, in order absolutely to vote. makes sense. Right. So it makes sense, though. But make no sense for people to be worried about that. Right. Exactly. Because uh, for Piñera, one of the reasons, you know, like when he created that easy immigration yeah. platform or whatever, whatever, what have you, that wasn't five years ago. So yeah. this election that we just had, those Venezuelans that have come in since then mm -hmm. wouldn't have the right to vote. Like, <laughs> he absolutely did not, like, you know, no, have I mean, cast on his radar. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> had cast on their radar. Yeah, I don't think did. anybody took him seriously. But I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons yeah. Cass got where he is. Maybe yeah. we should make an episode about why did Cass get where he is. I yeah. think it's a little late for that. <laughs> now... You know, of all the foreign nationalities, you have to say that, uh, like, of all the foreign nationalities that were allowed to vote, like, the Venezuelans had the biggest turnout as a community here. So, which, in a way, it's no surprise, given that they can, you know, and you know, might disagree here, I don't know, but they can barely participate in their own country's electoral process. This is a few voices that I've heard from Venezuelans. They were like, we, we are not, we don't feel Depends that. who you talk to. Huh? You talk to. I've heard again, you know, like I've heard a few sure like sound bites left, you think that here you and there. Had, you've had a very good ability to participate in the electoral process, yeah. and if you're from the right, you don't. I mean, I'm just going from what I've heard from. Again, it's it's all anecdotal, right? Because we're only getting information yeah, from Venezuelan people who live in Chile, right? It's the same for my Bolivian family, right? My boyfriend is born in Bolivia. The majority of his family is from Bolivia. They do not support the left wing government. However, none of them voted. And so they're like, we can't participate in the electoral process. I'm like, well, you can't if you don't vote. And they're like, but we boycotted the vote. And I'm like, well, d you didn't vote. And so, like, all of the right wing boycotted the election because they automatically were like, it's corrupt. I'm like, but if you don't vote, like, how can you even know if the electoral, of course the left's going to win if you don't vote. Now we can't even tell. Like, if you think everybody voted from the right and the left still won, at least you can, like, make an argument. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's oof, that's a different can of worms right there. But all I'm I get what you say. I get what you're saying. All I'm trying to say is it's complicated it and is. very anecdotal. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, if you're from the U.S. listening to this, it's like talking to somebody from Cuba who's immigrated to the U.S. from Cuba. You talk to somebody from Cuba who lives in Cuba, they are going to probably have different perspectives. Yeah, just absolutely. like talking to somebody who lives in the U.S. is going to be different than talking to me versus talking to somebody who lives in Germany versus talking to Lenny. There are mm -hmm. different perspectives of your life, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, so this being one interpretation of the term Chilezuela, now there's another interpretation of the term, which is a, I think is a little bit more common one, is right. like the fear of Chile becoming more like Venezuela in economic and political and cultural terms, like talking about economic decline and hyperinflation, expropriations, authoritarian, oppressive left-wing regime. And I think this is more like the, the interpretation that we're going to focus on today or for the next two episodes probably, right. you know, because... Um, because we support all immigrants and coming here and bringing their cultures and making the world richer. That too. That was not really a because that I was, I was going for. But yeah, sure, sure. Why not? Yeah. So, so right now, okay. I just meant we're not going to argue against like the negatives of someone coming here and bringing their culture. No. Oh, no, not at all. So and we're I just going to focus on the other term. No, and I mean, what, all, all, like, what Bethany and I are definitely going to try to do here at least, I try to like present you the... the facts as factual as possible in a way why chile is 
probably not going to end up like Venezuela, which is, by the way, the topic. I don't think we've mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, Chile-Suela. Like, Chile-Suela, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, if you can read the title, then you know yeah, what, what we're talking uh, about. Yeah, we're talking about Venezuela versus Chile, how Chile is, you know, and and honestly, most people listening to this in English or that already sort of know this, it's sort of an internal fear. But, I mean, it's worth talking about yeah, it's, either way. It is, it is. It's worth talking just because of that, because you hear this term being thrown around so much lately. Yeah. And it's a bit tiring to refute that. So, you know. Now, the thing is that I know of several Venezuelans that are actually worried that Chile might go down the same path as Venezuela because there are actually, and I think you might agree there too, there are some salient parallels in recent history right now. So both countries went through a massive civil unrest. Like Venezuela had uh, the so-called Caracaso in 1989, Mm -hmm. and Chile had the Estallido Social in 2019. Both protests were fueled by very similar um, circumstances like economic hardships and stuff like that What was the year of their protest it was 1989 the caracaso yeah. in, in well caracas mostly and also around the countries now people of both countries there's no, there's no difference between the 80s and the 2019 no no but i'm saying no 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 what i'm saying recent no, 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 history I'm saying, recent I'm history because yeah so people of both countries they were getting tired with the respective corrupt political elites that didn't deliver on promises, you know? And both countries then saw the emergence of an unlikely underdog who promised radical change, you know? And both countries, at around the same time, within the sequence of events, they were set to draft a new constitution. However, there are some key differences which are, well, which I would like to point out too. I think you have a few there too. So I don't know if you don't mind. You can go ahead, go ahead. I'll interrupt you if I need to scream. Oh, boy. (laughs) So, first off, and I think this is going to be the one with the most screaming there. Oh, no. Like, Boric and Chavez, they did not assume power under the same conditions, under under the same circumstances. Now, why both were democratically elected, also, like, this bears repeating, Chavez was democratically elected. Like, a lot of people assume that he came into power by a coup d'etat. He did try to coup twice. that's the right-wing, honeys. Yeah, well, he did try to... uh, take the government by force that was sure. twice in 1992 two unsuccessful coup you know but uh, and again that's a personal opinion you might shout at me no 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 like i think that kind of shows his lust for power and uncompromising uncompromising nature when it comes to chavez which is not really how i would see border right now and remember we're right. talking about no, how chile is not going to be right again i think it's mm-hmm. very important to make the make the distinction between the individuals here exactly right so one was very i boric i don't feel like is a revolutionary at all no, like no. At, I'm, I'm sorry like if you're a leftist you don't look at boric and go oh he's a revolutionary oh he's like a fidel or a chit no he's a, yeah. he's a politician and he's not even right? Chavez was he was like i'm gonna change this country yeah. through hell or high water yeah and that's the truth um and i think a lot of leftists like extreme leftists and leftists of all like political affiliations would agree. Like he's like, I'm gonna change Venezuela through hell or high water. And Boric has always been very, very compromising, even to the point where his own party has called him Amarillo, yep. meaning like that he yeah, he compromises floppy. too much from the line of the political agenda yep. of the country. Yep. Like he's gonna go with his gut and what he believes rather than his party. Yeah, that is completely different. That is one key difference that Boric he, is a, a lot difference. more. He is has a more compromising nature than Chavez ever had, and also he oh, yeah. needs to be more compromising given the con- the, the composition of the Congress, which I'm gonna get to. But I now, also think I would like to point out. Yeah? Sorry. Okay, sorry. go ahead. I Maybe this is going to be a three-parter. Who knows? <laughs> I do think 
the challenges that Boric is facing versus the challenges that Chavez was facing are incredibly different. Yeah, I'm like, actually going to get oh, to that. Oh, go, go, yeah. go, go. No, because I was just about to say that Chavez was also, he was lucky in so far that his presidency kind of coincided with a surge in crude oil prices that would last for 10 years. Like yeah. the price of the of a barrel ranged in these, in this, basically in those 10 years, ranged from $10 to $140. And this would allow him to fund a lot of social programs. Now, Boric isn't quite that lucky, as you were just mentioning, you know. Chile is reeling right now from the coronavirus pandemic, and he needs to solve problems such as unemployment, pension fund system, health system, crime rate, crime rates etc 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 while chile's price while the price of chile's main export commodity copper is rather stagnating right now and right. also now if you're in the hold on give me give me give me a second now you as a right-wing person or whatever you might make the I argument no oh, no you, you, you whatever person you metaphorical in the, in person the in the listening ether yeah you might be saying well you know Boric could also laughed. do you you know you could just you. basically just finance all your social programs with the big old gains from copper now let me just make point out the difference the crude one thing is that crude oil is about 96% of venezuela's overall exports 96% it's the only resource it's they have insane. it's the only resource they have copper and its derivatives are and I make air quotes here, merely about 50% of Chilean export, which still is a lot, but not nearly as much as 96%. Moreover, price fluctuations in crude oil are much greater than it is the case in copper. So in the case in copper, there have been price changes of up to 180% the last 10 years. In crude oil, we're talking about 800% for the same, uh, for roughly the same period, you know. So, uh, yeah, sorry, you wanted to say something? <laughs> Miss Francis wanna... in the back there? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Okay, great. I, I mean, I have so much I want to say. I know that you have a lot to it's, say. But. It's, uh, my brain's twisty. So, um, I'm, I'm trying. Okay, you just keep going. Yeah, you, you, go, <laughs> okay, you go. I will. I will. I know. Oh, this oh is okay. So, no, oh, I got okay, it. I got okay, it. I got okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so here's the thing. This is also, like, <laughs> probably you don't know this. And the only reason I know this is because my boyfriend works in this sector and it hasn't actually become international news yet. Okay. But um, the way that this is Chilean related, the way that uh, they're funding the um, universal pension fund for uh -huh. old people here yeah. is that they're actually charging more to private companies for copper right now. And that was Piñera's idea. And the, what, what do you mean they're charging private companies for copper? Okay, so for, for example, copper? you have two <laughs> – I know way too much about this because – Thank you, Mal. Okay, you have two <laughs> have types of, um, I don't know what they're called in English, but two types of permits that you mm -hmm. can apply for when it comes to mining. Ah, an exploration mining permit okay. or an um, excavation permit, yeah. basically. Gotcha. So you can apply for these permits, and in the past they lasted two years. So meaning you have two, you can apply, and then for two years you are allowed to either excavate or explore, depending mm -hmm. on what you want to do, right? Exploring would be like, is there actually copper or whatever we want right. there, or an excavation would be like pulling it out. So what they decided to do was they decided to send that to four years. You have four years to do that. However, once that time expires, you cannot apply to the same area. Okay. Which is a big deal because what a lot of companies do is they just apply for all over the fucking place, mm -hmm. and then they just reapply. Right. So that they can hold that for as long as they want. And so they're also charging triple the amount to apply for these permits. So that's a lot of technical language, but they're charging mining companies more and upping the risk to the mining companies for where they can apply on Chilean land. 
And they're using that money to pay for the universal pension fund. Okay, so how is that germane to the topic? I mean, that's I interesting, just, but I'm, I mean... It's it's not. I just thought that you should know. Uh, okay, and okay, great. No. Anyway, so... Good, good piece of information. That was interesting. No, but I mean, in a way, I think, <laughs> it, but I think it is germane to the topic because, uh, because as I just said, like Chavez was using a lot of the oil revenue to fund a lot of social programs. Chile is doing the same, but Chile but has do, does not have private the, companies. Oh, okay, gotcha. They're charging private. Well, yeah, in a way, in the value chain, it's in there. And um, yes, one thing is they charging private companies, but also it's not nearly it cannot be nearly as much as venezuela had at no, their no, no. fingertips and there's very you know? there's very little risk but his, here's the thing those those companies i don't know if we ended yeah. up cutting out basically <laughs> let, me, let me just say this I whole thing again i might have shared a legally <laughs> private thing so if you didn't hear it basically chile's charging private some private companies <laughs> i don't know if you can say this it's a fun it's stuff okay again, just in case they, we didn't get private Private companies I can't mention being charged for to like fund public shit. But the difference in Venezuela is that they were doing this public entity. And the thing is, is the private companies that Chile is charging, they're charging within a base range of the, something that they know that these private companies yeah. are willing to pay. No, no, no. And I, I got that. I got that. My point was. No, no, no. I'm not saying you don't get it. I'm just okay, trying to. Okay, cool. I'm just clarifying. No, like my, my, but my point was also that they, he, Yes, of course, of course, they are making use of the copper as a concept, so to speak, whether you charge by private companies or you just use the revenues from the public company. But the thing is, like, you don't have nearly as much leeway You're as Chavez has. you all your eggs in one like, basket. Yeah, that too, you know, but, like, copper is not oil, period, you know. It's like you don't have the same, you don't have the same range there. Now, as we also talked about, like, he is, Boric is a lot more comp uh, compromising than Chavez. Yeah. And also, like, he also, unlike Chavez at that point, he does not necessarily have a majority in the Congress, let alone a super majority to get his way, which yes, is something 100%. that Chavez had at the point, right? 100%. I also, put this down too. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. Also, like Chavez was known to be very rude with his political opponents, you know, denigrating them, calling them names. But he's just not that kind of person. No. And also, he cannot, you know, he cannot afford to be that kind of person because of the majority in Congress right now, he can't do this even if he wanted to, you know. On the contrary, he already has shown that he is willing 100%. and able to reach across the aisle to find compromises and make things happen. To the extreme right. I mean, Boric, like, like, what was it, his first or second week after being elected, like, met with the head of the Carabineros, like... Yeah. Uh, and Which caused some frowning down. among the left wing. Yeah, yeah, and it was like frowned and grumbled upon in the left. But look, he immediately was like, look, I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure you know that I'm going to figure out what the best yeah. is and the best compromise. So, uh, <laughs> which down. is which is something to actually, I um, I was reading, um, I was reading in the magazine Foreign Policy, which is um, an internationally recognized mm -hmm. magazine. It tends to swing pretty right. Or, or like, I don't know. It's moderate, but U.S. version of moderate. Oh. So, like, would be considered right-ish here. So, the, what for, the Foreign Policy magazine said was, Venezuela sort of has never been seen as ever returning to democracy, while Chile had the si no votación, like the vote, that physically returned Chile to democracy. and Physically? Put, uh, like there was a literal break, right? You know, I get what you mean. You know what I mean? <laughs> like um, a de democratic break, not like a revolution or anything like that. There was a democratic break, and Venezuela and internationally was recognized as dictatorship, return to democracy. 
which never really has been recognized as what happened to Venezuela. It was sort of like dictatorship, democracy, the dictatorship. Yeah, and it always has been like this really weird hybrid until recently when, you know, probably going to talk about this, but when Maduro came into power, it has grown more and more, more and authoritarian. More but it has never been like, as you said, it was never this clean break between, okay, democracy, dictatorship, democracy. It was, right. it was kind of like, it's like right. and growing then of course, a little Cold bit. War politics, which is also just like complicating the whole thing. But, and then of course you can say like, it, it, it's twisty, but like, let me continue. So, um, Venezuela has never been something internationally recognized because again, international recognition of a country, whether it's correct or not correct, is increasingly important and very important because of investing and different mm. things like that. And Chile has always been recognized as a country that is democratic, returned from a dictatorship into a democracy. And as you said, because Boric does not control, does not have a supermajority of the Congress, it even supports that. Um, he can't make super sweeping, shocking changes to Chile. He can make changes, but they have to also be supported by the other end of the aisle. So he, he knows, and I feel like he's displaying his knowledge of the fact that you got to work. You can't just make gotta decisions. Work, you got to work. You got to work. And that is something that uh, Chavez um, didn't have to do because yeah. he had his super majority. He didn't have to do that. And then, of course, Maduro changed so much things that, like... Also, I think it's important here to recognize that Chavez and Maduro are not the same animal. Personally, I think that's very important to recognize. Um, that even though you can definitely say that both were authoritarian in some aspects, um, yeah, but Maduro I think, doesn't really manage his shit as I well think as Chavez did. I think that there, it's not fair to group them together as the same kind of animal because yeah. they're not. It's like Lenin and Stalin, if you will. I mean. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, kind I mean, of. I'm not yeah. kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, kind of. Like, and so, like, you, because you can say, like, a lot of positive things about what Lenin did for the, the Soviet Union. A lot of positive things. And then you look at Stalin and you're like, okay, I'm getting way off. I'm getting way left here. <laughs> I took a left turn. But anyway, so, but I think that well, is also important. came out of left field. That, <laughs> nice. But I think that's important as well. Like, they both had the supermajority. Chavez is... In a very organic way, Maduro's in a very forced way, you know? Yeah. And Boric is not trying to force anything. He mm. recognizes what he has, yeah. and he's going to work with it, and he's shown that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you also got to consider that, like, basically his uh, Chavez's organic support was also, in a way, a, a result of the circumstances that we, he was in, oh, right? Oh, 100%. You know, the, 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 basically the... The oil bonanza, also that the incredible poverty, and also yeah, the poverty, and also that yeah, that he was basically just the underdog that came out of nowhere, you know, and basically Maduro just tried to continue this legacy, and, and that didn't up. yeah, fucked up absolutely because Chavez died. Like it's not again, it's it's similar to Lenin and Stalin. Like you have a you have this person who because undeniably whether you agree with Chavez's politics or not, there are a lot of really good things that he did for the country as far as like objectively of increasing of um, the things that were available in Venezuela, the literacy rates, the, the education rates, um, a lot of things like that, whether you agree with his, the way that he did it or not. Yeah, it was not is, sustainable, is, is, but right, is, is face not, value is not, yeah. is not what we're talking about here. But there were a lot of improvements. And so I think it's unfair to like look at somebody like Lenin or, Sta or, Sta Lenin or Chavez and their inability to know how the world and how economies 
changed because I don't think they had that foresight. I mean, they started with like this little baby, right? I'm getting way too left, way too. <laughs> I am getting way into the yeah. literature that I have read, but like, okay. okay so let, let me just continue then, you've like done because that out, to, we know. talking about For, talking foresight, about foresight, 2020. Talking about, but being but left. I'm just gonna say the biggest literary jump, literacy jump in the entire world, in the entire history of the world, happened in Venezuela under Chavez. So, <laughs> mic drop. Don't drop the mic, please. That was expensive. So, point two, point two that I have here is that Boric is not as far left if, as Chavez oh God, was. No. Not at all. <laughs> you know, another reason why Chile is not going to turn to Venezuela. In spite of being called a communist by his oh political God. opponents, Boric is far from it. You know, talking about communism. Boric ain't any of that. Mm -mm. If anything, Boric is a, a, listen up here, he's a social democrat, period. In like fact, his program actually resembles more European style social democracy than Venezuela or Bolivia. And there's nothing in the program about breaking the free market system. He even said in an interview with the uh, Associated Free Press, I was about to say the AFP, but people might misunderstand that. Uh, it, <laughs> and I quote to say, it is not possible to do business or for a country to grow when a society is tremendously fractured as it is in Chile. You know, so he said, yeah. What it's real, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm naive when I say this, I really feel like politi politics aside, he really, really wants the best for Chile. And so, contributing to what you're saying, mm. back, big piggybacking off what you're saying, so the, the, the Council on Foreign Relations has declared Boric a part of the new left. Yeah. It's a new yeah. type of leftist. That is emerging in Chile, and this has really come about the confidence we talked about the last time that we had a podcast. Also, has been reflected in the picks of his cabinet, and about yeah. the professionals that he's picked and the people with experiences. It's not just his buddies, it's not just his friends, it's not just people who agree with him. Mm -hmm. It is people who are professional and trying to do and 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 in different parts of the political spectrum. And most of all, it's representative of the overall population. Absolutely. And not just people from Santiago, not just people from certain yep. sectors of business. It's people from about, their sectors, people from the, the regions. Majors. Yeah, no, not any commercial engineers, or maybe there's, I think, one. And so they, when they, when people, especially, again, international view of Boric is also super important. They don't view him as the same type of, like, person with this dogma that Chavez or Maduro had. There is mm. no really dogma involved with Boric. Yeah. He's not like an uncompromising dogmatic person no. at all. No, we already said that. No, he's absolutely not. And so <laughs> I don't agree with this, but in Foreign Policy Magazine, which I I, I, um, I mentioned earlier, which uh, compared Boric to Biden even, um, which I think is not true. I, I don't think that those oh, depend, are... Depends really on which aspect. Really, I don't think they're the same at all. But, you know, if uh, a an American, quote-unquote, magazine is comparing Boric to Biden, I think that's a signal that there's trust there, right? Especially with yeah. at least the, the U.S. Gotcha. And those are huge investors in in Chile. And so this is contributing to the fact that, like, okay, like, there's Unless you really don't like Biden. <laughs> right. I mean, if we're going to talk about how... The, uh, which I'm going to get into later, that the U.S. is one of the biggest contributors to the downfall of Venezuela. Not just the leaders, but mm -hmm. also the sanctions and the embargoes and things right. like that. If we're talking about an internationally U.S.-respected magazine t comparing the current president or about to be the president of Chile to the current president of the U.S., we got some good, we got some good vibes going on there. Good right? vibes, good vibes. Right? Yeah. And so, I mean, even, like, it's, it's just a really interesting um, 
an like animal here. And the, the White House even said the White House welcomes all those committed to dem democracy to solve hemispheric changes when they congratulated Boric. And he's also been compared to a lot of the social democrats in Europe, mm. as you've said. Yeah. Like, he's not considered a communist or a socialist. Yeah. He's no, this has a... been a very consistent theme. So yeah. Like, all the Europeans are just like, what are you talking about? This guy's no communist. Like, he's, like he's, this guy's, <laughs> a, he's young. He's 26. That's weird. But okay, fine. Yeah. You know, he's a social well, we had this in Austria, too, so... <laughs> What do you know about Austria, you German? <laughs> I wish we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not going there. Not going there. So, yeah. Well, you got to be fair. You have to You have to also mention that, yes, he, in the past, he has showed his support to Chavez and I think also Maduro. Now, I haven't scourged his, uh, scoured his, his, his Twitter feed. He recently has rejected Maduro. Yeah, and he Probably. is also, like, and actually I did found a very uh, poignant tweet from 2012 from Boric in which he said, between Capriles and Chavez, Capriles was the contender back then, between Capriles and Chavez, I'd have voted for Chavez, but a military man with such grand grandiose airs cannot be a reference for the political left of the 21st century. Like, even back nice. then, he was very... very yes, he supported him, but it was not unconditionally. And a lot of his, a lot of times, he was also more supporting the people rather than the government. Right, so got at the time, again, yeah. so many changes have happened in the world since Chavez existed in Venezuela, yeah. right? Yeah. So the, what we view as the left has changed, right? Because the left, communism, is a giant experiment, right? Like, you can't say it hasn't been. And you can't define, just as democracy used to be, it was a giant experiment and it worked out-ish. And it's working in different aspects, some good, some bad. That's a whole different podcast, right? But communism with all of its different facets and challenges is also a different thing and as democracy has changed throughout the years so has communism as we were talking about the new the new left yeah. the new people like Holloway who say like look you know i believe that people shouldn't own five homes mm. but i'm not going to take those homes i might make a cap on how many homes somebody can buy mm. but that doesn't mean you know i'm gonna just like take you and your children and eat your babies right, right. and so it, it, things are changing and developing and i think boric is recognizing yeah. that that like look at the time maybe chavez was relevant he's not necessarily relevant in a world that exists today yeah. and i think it's a good point that you're making and uh, this is also something that upsets me a little bit sometimes because i mean i'm, I'm personally I'm, I'm i'm not a communist nothing but like i you're not no i am not but uh i do it it does bother me when people are arguing in absolutes in a way that they say is like no we can't do communism and also like on the other side I'm just like no capitalism is not I was like hold on a second like we need to take these polit political ideologies and adapt them to the circumstances that we're living in right now right. there are good things to communism there are good things to capitalism it's just like you have to modify and basically go with the times here so basically just rejecting these things and saying that no well you know look at the Soviet Union that hasn't worked was it well like, dude, look it just, how long like, ago that was it also and yeah it also like we that wasn't we had airplanes then and, calm down <laughs> So, but as you mentioned already, like Boric, he was backpedaling a lot in his support of the Venezuelan government. Also because he knows where his, what side his bread is buttered on, you know, sure. because he knows he has to play nice with the, with the, with the current Congress. So, which kind of shows you his make, statesmanship. You make sacrifices for the greater good, right? Yeah, you do too. And like, also, and I would also believe, and, and yes, yes, but I also think that he, and that it has like he has showed before that 
he is not unconditionally supporting Venezuela's government as people make it out to be. It has never, I don't want to say it has never been this way, but it hasn't been this way for quite a while Look, now. I, I think that, like I said, sits only deal in absolutes. You can support aspects of a government without supporting an entire government. If I say, you know what, I did not support the coup that almost happened in Venezuela with Guido. Like, I don't support that. But that doesn't mean that I support Maduro. I'm going to I'm gonna shift the focus a little bit from Boric now to the Constitution because all the, cons the, the process of redrafting the Constitution, because that's a big thing, and that's one of the big concerns of some segments of the population that Sex makes... Men sexments, yeah, that makes them believe that Chile is going to turn into the next Venezuela, because the redrafting of the constitution in Chile takes place under widely different circumstances than in Venezuela back in the days. Sure. Now, the main difference is that while redrafting, the redrafting of the Venezuelan constitution was a brainchild of Chavez. Mm -hmm. Like, Chavez thought, thought, sought to quickly bring about radical social change, as, as, as you mentioned before, for which, um, for which he championed a redrafting of the constitution. Now, in April 99, his first decree, actually, as a president, was to order a referendum to make the redrafting happen, asking whether the Constituent Assembly should be convened and whether the voter agreed on Chavez's suggestion how, to assembly, how the Assembly should be elected. The referendum was overwhelmingly approved by with 92.4% and 86.5% respectively, but only had a turnout of 37.8%, you know? Turnout. Yeah, the turnout was... <sighs> it looks a bit hinky to me. You could argue Hinky about that. Hockey. But yeah, talking about voter suppression, whatever, but let's not get into this I mean, right now. I don't now. know. I don't have yeah. any research. Yeah, no, me neither. But it's just like looking at the turnout and then this overwhelming support. It looks weird. Okay. I mean, you can, uh, I'm sure people would might say the same thing mm. about Chile. We had an 80% basically support of the Aprevo. That's a big fucking Yeah, but also 50% turnout. I know. No, no, no. I know what yeah. you're saying. I'm just saying like... Yeah, it's... You know what I mean? It's a little... I think what we have here, it's a little less to the extremes, the turnout and the Sure, and the but approval. we also have more access to public transportation than Venezuela had. We yeah, had that too. I, you could totally be right. I'm just saying, let's look at it, this and the difference between... Yeah, the other thing is like the access to public transportation is what the people oh. who voted in favor of the redrafting constitution in Venezuela would have needed, but they already got the 92%, you know what I'm saying? So... Numbers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> numbers suck. Okay, yeah. anyway, no, I'm so, just yeah. saying like there's, I would love for there to be research and maybe there is research. Hey, look, if you're listening to me and you're like screaming at me because you're like ignorant lady, I respect you as a woman and it has nothing to do with the fact that you're a woman, but you don't, don't know what you're talking about. Be, feel free to email me stuff. I love reading stuff. Make sure your sources are cited. Don't just like send me something from the New York Times. It's fun. Um, hey, I got a master's degree in like academic writing. Like give me some sources. Message us on Instagram or chiletodaypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear well, your stuff. If you have statistics about the elections for the Constitution. Well, I got a doctorate from Reddit University, so yeah. I have a master's degree from Henderson State University, <laughs> Ooh, which is not a fake thing. That's real. Henderson, like Jim Henderson? I got it when I was 23 years old. Is it like from Jim, the, the Muppets I guy? I was way too young to have a master's. They should not let somebody that young get a master's, I swear to God. What? Oh, boy. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, so... The new Magna Carta then in Venezuela, he was presented to the electorate for a second referendum, much as is going to be here, in December that year and approved for 72%, which was audited by the, also, gotta say, mostly Chavista National Electoral Council, okay? Do with that information what you will. Now, between the first referendum and its implementation, only eight months have passed. 
Ugh. Now, I read somewhere, and I couldn't really back this up, but I read that the actually the, the constituent assembly only took like 60 days to draft this whole thing, which was just like, okay, That's that insane. is insane. We you haven't know? drafted so, shit. Yeah. So, which is also like, okay, this is a different animal right there. There is, there is so much research. Now, so much stuff yeah. going into this costume. Yeah, and actually, just like, they, dude, they I have a day job. What, I guess. Two years? They estimated two years of how much. Yeah. How long is it going to take? Oh, research for, for the for, for our. I thought you mean like us our, doing it. Yeah. No. Oh no. Yeah, that for too. The research for the Constitution in Chile. They've like estimated two years. They have consultants. Right. Which is a we good got to a hundred percent. And the different professions that are involved, the different political parties. Now, there's definitely like a left leaning entity there yeah, within it, but it is not completely left wing. Yeah. 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 No. And okay. So what I was saying is like between the referendum and the and the application of the new constitution, that was eight months, which is n not a long time, but nope, okay. That's real short. But then what I also read, and I don't I don't know if I understood it right, and I have nothing to back it up that the actual writing. I'm not talking about referendum to implementation. Just the drafting of the constitution took like sixty days, which is ridiculously little time, right? So the other thing is that the constituent assembly also butted heads with other existing political institutions, such as the Congress. And while the Congress maintained that the Constituent Assembly needs to remain subordinate to the Congress, Chavez didn't concur and even suggested that the Constituent Assembly should have the power to dissolve the Congress if it sees fitting. Yeah, you know? that's, that's not good. Yeah, that's not good. Now, talking about the Chilean example, just to contrast, on the other hand, the Chilean process, no, there was not one figurehead that pushed for its implementation because it was more of a collective effort. Sure, there were a few spokespeople that channeled, channeled the whole thing, but it was something, it was kind of like a collective demand that like surged from the masses. And yeah, yeah, also yeah. the plebiscite had it was it was very yeah. it was very grassroots. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, That's the, the word. Yeah, was, the, idea, the idea of a new constitution was very much and. I mean, the biggest march in Chilean history was basically for a constitution. It wasn't left or right. Like, yeah. you know, you, 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 if you haven't seen those pictures, listener, Oof. of those massive marches after the Estallido, that was a nonpartisan march. Why did I just march. hear massive Martians? The <laughs> like, massive <what>? Martians. <laughs> They're here among us. <laughs> Communists are Martians. They're not from this from world. From the red That's why they call it the red planet. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> oh, my gosh. We figured it out. The Illuminati, the red planet, the communists. It's all fitting together. Um, the no, marches, the, it marches. Non, it was a yeah. really a huge thing of, like, we want change, especially in Chile, if you consider what that constitution represented to Chilean people, which was not just things need to change, but also this is a constitution from Pinochet. Mm. This is not representing us. Yeah. Someone in in some ways yeah. you could probably it, draw it, a relationship it went beyond between Chavez a practical, and Pinochet right. in the way that the constitution was drafted. Yeah. And it went beyond a practical issue. It also it became also an ideological issue in a exactly. way. Exactly. You know? Like I'm I'm not gonna say that because I talk sorry I talked to a couple of people I was like look just like stupid question like let let's say it, it works as such would you still want to have it changed I was like hell yeah because it was you know it, it was illegitimate me. it doesn't represent me it's like okay I kind of get that it doesn't re and it doesn't represent a changing Chile because the way that the constitution exists as it is now mm -hmm. there is no room for growth that laws cannot there are laws that cannot change in Chile, no matter if 100% of the population supports them because of the Constitution. That is authoritarian. Right. That does not represent the people. Okay. And what the Constitution should be, hopefully, in Chile is the opposite of that. It's something that is more representative of democracy, less representative of authoritarianism. Okay. You're getting off topic again. I'm jumping right in. <laughs> 
fine. Oh, that if looks could kill. Okay, guys, this is the end of part one of our discussion. Um, we're excited to bring you part two. We have so much more to say, and we'll see you in two weeks. Hope that you enjoyed. So when in doubt, Gringo out. Ciao. Bye. The Chile Today podcast is produced and edited by podcast pinguino Diego Rivera, and it is starring Leonard Klugehe and Bethany Francis. Nice. Oh, but one of these days I just want you to not butcher my name. <laughs> Leonard Kluge, you mean. Leonard Kluge. Bye. <laughs>